Good morning, everybody. So, you normally have uh, three sets of parents, and then you have three children, right? And as you can see, the maths are not quite working out this way this time. Um, on the far right-hand side over there, we've got um, Gerrit and Chantel with their beautiful little twins, and um, Oliver and Evelyn, it is uh, lovely to have you guys with us. What I would suggest is, Chris, you come this side, and I'll move across. For those of you who like symmetry, there'll be a little bit of balance there. Um, there we go. And uh, then we've got uh, Vanda and Tashis and uh, beautiful Elian. It's lovely to have you up here, boy. And, uh, and then we've got Eli Max uh, with Chris and Sarah. And uh, guys, this is fantastic to have you here. I want to just frame what's going on here just for a moment, because Chris tried to steal my thunder and say everything that is a baby dedication, but he missed out a few things. So let me try to explain just a little more around what does it mean to have a baby dedication. And uh, what I want to remind you guys of in this moment is that this is not a super pill to make your kids succeed in life and to get them uh, all the blessing and favor that we could get. We, we're not a superstitious bunch of people who think that if we dedicate our kids up front in a church, hey, problem-free living. That's the way it goes. We just don't believe that. We also don't believe that to uh, dedicate your children is to get your children saved. Uh, we just don't see that in the scriptures. What we do see in the scriptures is that parents get a trust. It's an, it's an entrustment from God, a stewardship to, to look after a life. And, and you know what else? It's not just an entrustment to the parents. It's an entrustment to a community. Uh, this is kind of foreign to Western people that we would actually all see these new lives as a responsibility of ours. It's normally like, hey, you had them, you look after them, um, which there's a bit of truth in that. But actually, a spiritual community is responsible for looking at the new lives and doing a whole bunch of things. When we celebrate and we say, whoa, look at these new amazing lives, God has added to these families and to our family, and we just rejoice. We also stand with these families and we say, God has added them to your lives, and we actually want to work with you and walk with you to hold you accountable to making sure you raise these kids incredibly well. We want to be strength to you. We want to be the life to you because these parents are going to go through some good days and some tough days. Anyone who's got kids knows that it's a rocky and a challenging road, but it's a good one. And you would never want to parent alone. Nobody wants to parent alone. We need a community of friends and family to raise a kid. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, we believe it, and uh, we think it's full of truth from the Scriptures. And so that's why we put these families up onto the stage. We stand them before us. We parade these kids because we, we want to celebrate with these families, but we also want to take a little bit of responsibility on ourselves and go, wow, God, not only have you given them to those parents, you've partly given them to us to love the parents, to look after the parents, and to uh, be a grace to these parents. So that's what we're going to do. And what I want to do is give each family an opportunity just to share a little bit. And uh, after that, we're going to pray for them and uh, stand with them as we dedicate them into the hands of Jesus as this journey begins. Should we start with the Campbells? Okay. So um, uh, when, we, when we had William, uh, we, had, uh, we, we applied ourselves and, and thought about what we want to say, um, and we dug up those notes um, in being here with Eli this morning, and we just felt it, it was, it's the same message. So if you were here that time, and you can remember everything, <laughs> then uh, well done. Um, but I'm going to read that and, and what we've written uh, for you. So Eli, Max, Kinnear, Campbell... Your mom and I love you so much. We are immensely grateful to God for you. As far as we are able to, we will raise you to be a kind-hearted, courageous young man. We want the absolute best for you, but we cannot control all things. And we know that in this world that we live in, you will encounter hardship and heartache. Our son, our greatest hope is that you will come to know God as we have, and that the words from this psalm will become your own. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Beautiful. Wow. 
We have to give that same applause for the next two families as well, yeah. hey? We, we're listening. We'll definitely measure that. <laughs> um, this is Elian van Rooyen and our other boy is Ruben van Rooyen. Um, the meaning of the name Elian means the Lord is our God. Um, and Elian, our prayer is um, that you will walk closely with God, knowing Him in everything that you do, um, that you will walk humbly and in love, um, and that you will continuously seek the truth. Ja, so, um, just to, to bring in the Afrikaans a bit, ons gebed vir, vir klein Elian is die selfde as vir, vir Boetie Ruben, en dis dat die Heere ons as ouwer sal lei om om groot te maak in die manier wat um, dat hy Jesus sal ken, sal vrees um, en ook sal lief hee, en dat die liefde vir die Heere ook sal oorvloe en sy liefde vir, vir die mense om om, en Elian, jy is vol glimlach, en ons is so lief vir jou, en ons bid dat jou leven gekenmerk sal wees vir, vir jou vriendelijkheid, jou goedhartigheid en jou liefde vir, vir jou medemens. And there's just two pieces of scripture that we just want to pray over Elian um, that, that has reference to his name. And the first one is Psalm 48, verse 14. And it says, For this God is our God. Forever and ever, he will be our guide, even to the end. And Isaiah 25, verse 1, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and your name, for in perfect faithfulness, you've done wonderful things, things planned long ago. And our prayer this morning is... Um, Lord, we thank you for the gift of raising, raising this precious little boy. Give us your wisdom and strength to help him become everything you purpose him to be. Ja, Heere, hoor sy gebekies, um, vul sy hart met u, geloof en liefde, um, en sien om soos ons om help opgroei in die genore. Thank you. Wow. Okay, so we've got double the time, right? <laughs> yes. So we've um, written a couple of, oh, we've written down a couple of verses, um, the greens for Oliver, obviously. I was on James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming, from, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 1 Samuel 1, uh, 27-28, I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord as he worshiped the Lord there. Pink, right? <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 139 verse, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And Colossians 1, uh, verse 9 to 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We have continuously asked God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And then just a little something for both of them. <laughs> and for the, the rest of us that knows Afrikaans a little bit better. So, liefste Olivier en Evelyn, jylle is vir ons een ongelooflike sening en uitsonderlijke geskenk uit Gods hand om ons levens te verrijk. Ons besef dat jylle oogies ons fijn doppel en jylle oorkies skerp luister. Daarom wij ons ons harte om saam met ons naastes een voorbeeld vir julle te stel en te leer van God. Ons hoop dat julle sal leer lief het dier hoe ons ander behandel. Vergewig te wees dier hoe ons gee hoe om God te prijs dier ons gehoorzaamheid en gerechtigheid dier hoe ons leef. Ons gebed is dat julle een intieme verhouding met God sal hee en sy perfecte liefde sal ervaar. Ons is oneindig lief vir julle en sê dankie dat ons gekies het dat God ons gekies het om jylle mama en papa te wees. Wow. That, that's what you call extreme public speaking, hey? Um, okay, and the next one? No, sorry. <laughs> Take that mic away from somebody. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask these couples uh, each a question. And um, they're going to get to answer the question. And then what I'm going to do is ask us a, us a question because we're also receiving these children into our community. And so, parents, if you want to know what the correct answer is, it's uh, we, we do or we will. 
There we go. And um, are you ready to go? Do you today commit to bring your child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, loving them with Christ's love, disciplining them with Christ's heart, and doing all you can with God's assistance to raise them in such a way as to reveal the love of Christ to them? Fantastic. Now, me? How's that? We'll give it one more go. If it happens again, I'll use this. Now I want to ask you. The... Okay, that's it. It's happened. I want to ask you a question, and that question is um, about us receiving this, congre- this these children into our care, into our love, and into this community. And your answer is, we will. So get ready. Prepare your vocal cords. Will you, members of this congregation, friends and family, be faithful to your calling as followers of Christ so that these children and all other children in your spheres may, through your life and example, grow up in the knowledge and love of Christ? Fantastic. I want to ask the uh, family members and friends who've been prepared to just come up. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing over these families. There should be plenty of space. Waste no time. Come on up. We're going to pray for these amazing families. Just a word of appreciation. It's so amazing to have different families coming. Probably some have traveled to be here, and thank you for that, whether it's getting on airplanes or uh, getting uh, into cars and driving long distances. Thank you for being here and for standing alongside these amazing families. It's, uh, it's just fantastic to have you with us. Hopefully, um, you'll have a good lunch together and enjoy um, just being family together. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you so much that when we come to you, God, we don't come to a distant or, or, or indifferent being. We come to one who, who reveals himself as father, as parent, as, as Abba, the one who lets us close. What an amazing treat that we serve and worship a God who is ultimately a parent, who teaches us how to parent through the way you parent us and love us. Lord, I pray that your grace and your blessing and your favor would be on these parents, Lord Jesus, as they raise these amazing young lives. Lord, every new life that has been added to these families, I pray that you would grace them with health, with love, with joy, with laughter, with adventure, God. It is so magnificent to be a part of a family filled with adventure and laughter, filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, empower these parents. It will get tricky. They will need wisdom. They will need grace. They will need mercy when they make mistakes. They will need to say apologies. They will need to lead with courage when it's difficult. Lord, all of these things, we pray that you would help them in the right time, in the right ways, in the right places as you father them, as you parent these parents. I pray that they too would parent their children well. God, we thank you for your grace. It's a day-by-day, hour-by-hour grace, and we pray that that would be the experience for each of these families. Day-by-day, hour-by-hour, parenting grace, family grace, adventure grace, and the grace that comes only from Jesus in living in the gospel. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Nick says, a little gift for you guys. Um, Why don't we give these families a round of applause? Yeah, you guys can take your seats. Anshan, do you want to say something? (laughs) So my suggestion is that um, whilst these guys are taking their seats, that you look next to the person if you know them, and if you're comfortable, give them a high five just to keep yourself interactive and interested. Authority. What do you think when you hear the word authority? Are you allergic to it? 
or are you appreciative of it? Authority. I don't know what you think when you hear the word, but I do know what our culture generally thinks when we hear the word authority. Generally, when we hear the word authority, we try to run a mile. We try to run away. Do you know where it all started? The, the whole authority resistance started at pretty much in the 17 and 1800s with the Enlightenment, where basically human beings started to think in the Western world, do you know what? We are smarter than we first thought, and we don't need anyone to tell us how to do life, and any authority structure should be treated with suspicion. And then what happened in the 60s? Who was alive in the 60s? Man, there was a revolution that happened in the 60s where basically there was a whole new sense of courage put into the individual that said, authority is terrible. And a second allergy was developed inside of Western society that said, we don't need any authority. We can do this on our own. And since the 60s, humankind, especially in the West, has started to look at most authority figures and started to say, I'm not sure I can trust you. I would move towards most institutions and most authority figures that for centuries and millennia people have been looking at and saying, those are good. Now we look at and we go, those are probably bad. They might be good. We generally are filled with cynicism when it comes to authority figures in our lives, right? Most of the West are allergic, not appreciative. And we tend to feel that is the way. We tend to feel like I can't trust authority, right? Right. So, where are we in the book of, of Mark? We're in chapter 1. And we're moving to a place where Jesus has come onto the scene. He's begun his ministry. He has been baptized, which symbolized his anointing as heaven and earth's true king. He is the son of God. He has been baptized as in fulfillment with prophetic expectation that there would be a Messiah who would be Israel's expected Messiah, who wouldn't just be good for Israel. He'd be good for the world, and he'd bring salvation to mankind, and he'd reteach the world how to live in a way that honors the Creator. And he's starting this ministry, and he is beginning to show the world, he starts with these lines, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's authority language. That's authority language. As much as you want to deny it, and you go, Jesus and, my, and me, we're, we're buddies, and you know, we just hang out together, and we love our buddy-buddy. When Jesus came onto the scene, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, every kingdom needs a king. A king is one with authority. And he comes in and he starts to display that he is the king of a whole different kind of kingdom. And, and he begins to reveal his glory. First he says, hey, I, I, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he starts walking along the beaches and, and he knows some guys and he says, hey, come follow me. And these guys look at him and they go, he's a great rabbi. And they start to follow him. And he's pulled together a little crew of people who are beginning to follow him and work out what is this kingdom about and who is this king. And Jesus progressively is revealing who he is and what real authority is all about. That, that, that's where he's at. And so we're, we're going to pick up. He's already pulled his disciples together. He's got a crew together. He's already been a, a baptized, which means he is the king and he is the king of his kingdom. And now he's going to go and do some stuff that is going to express his authority. So in verse 21, if you've got your Bibles open up, we're in Mark chapter 1, and this is what it says. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought, all, brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at your word, we look at your word with humility and with reverence. It is a wonderful collection of stories that reveal who you are and what you lack and how you work in the world. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that each one of us wouldn't leave the way we came, that in some way, some part of our hearts would be freshly aware of your amazing grace and your beautiful authority. God, I don't know where we come from. I don't know what authority structures have been in people's lives here, whether we have been hurt or whether we have been uh, helped by authority figures. But I pray this morning that in your sweet and beautiful grace and in your powerful authority, you would speak to us and show us that you are an authority worthy of trust and worthy of our very lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Authority. I'm going to say that a lot because these people in this passage had a number of times where Jesus would come and teach, and we're not even sure exactly what these teachings were. Mark is just kind of skimming through the story, and he says these people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, authority. The Greek word for authority is exousia, exousia. You want to say that with me just to keep it alive? One, two, three, exousia. My dad always says, excusez-moi. I don't know if you've ever heard of that term, excusez-moi. It's like a blend of English and French, I think. And uh, he wants someone to get out of the way. That's not the same thing. Exusia is a term for authority. Authority means the power or the right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience. It's It's a powerful thing. Authority means you can move someone to do something, to believe something, to act in a certain way. Authority really is what the word means. It's authority. That's the definition. And this term in the, in the Bible isn't got any fancy thing. When you read the word authority, it means authority, the power to get people to move because you can move them, to give orders, make decisions, enforce obedience. It's not a fancy word. It's just a word that says Jesus spoke and lived with authority. That is what he did. I've already mentioned the history of authority. We're in probably the peak of our cultural moment where people are rejecting authority in almost every level of society. There are very few places in society where people are not looking with cynicism and saying, we cannot trust those authority figures, that institution, that grouping of people. Authority is becoming less and less popular. We want to flatten the structures and we want to submit to no one. Here's the question. Can we ever escape living under authority? Is it possible? Is it possible for you or I to ever find a place or a way where we are just no longer under any authority? My answer is no. It's impossible. Not only, even if you chose to go hermit, you know, go live in the sand dunes and go live in the cliffs, find a place, do whatever you want, go by yourself, even there, One, you'd be in a nation where you would still be under the authority of the law. If you contravened the law, you would still be liable to needing to pay the price for for contravening the law. You would be under the law and the authority of that law. You'd be in that government. It's almost impossible to escape anywhere in the planet without being liable for living under a certain law. You're under authority. But let's say there was no government. There was no law. There was no policing. Could you then escape being under uh, authority? Again, I would say, no. You might be able to escape being under the authority of some other people, but you'd be in a much more scary place of authority. You'd be under the authority of yourself. And that's what our culture and our generation are desperate to try and do. 
We're in a cultural experiment, by the way, where a whole Western civilization are trying to say, let's not have authority. Let's try to actually live under our own authority. That's what expressive individualism is all about. It's a whole generation of human beings saying, don't worry, let's not live under everyone else's authority. You be author over your life. You write your story. You are authority over you, right? Tell your own story. You be you and let everyone else be themselves, but I will be authority over my life. And Jesus, I think, is a little scared by that. I think he's a little uneasy about that. But it really is the water that we swim in. We live in a world that is hyper-individualistic, that is telling you to live under your own authority and do it your way. It is the, the sort of uh, 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 water that we swim in. Uh, David Foster Wallace, he says it like this. There are these two young fish swimming along. They happen to meet an older fish who's swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? <laughs> right? Some of us might be going, what the hell is individualism? Well, what the heck is, is this thing of me being authority over myself? It's the water we swim in. It's actually the way we're living. More and more are we pushing back, and you might be going, I don't think that's true. It's so true that it's the water we swim in, we're not even sure that we've experienced it. Hey, we, we push back in authority figures, even to the point of the family institution. That's why we do baby dedications, because we so love healthy authority. Parents were given by God to lead children into the future that he has for them. That's part of the point. Hey, there's distrust in so many historical institutions, education systems, uh, governance. Wow. Hey, the bedroom, the boardroom, and the courtroom. Those are the four places we're all a little uncertain. Can we trust marriage? That's an institution of authority. Can we trust that? Culture's going, I don't know. Can we trust governments, the courtroom? I don't know, says society. Hey, we've got so much authority uh, sort of cynicism that it's leaving us in a very interesting place because what our general solution is, is I take responsibility to be author over my life. And what are we seeing? We're seeing a spike of mental health challenges. We're seeing a spike of anxiety and depression as we bear the weight of needing to run our own lives without anyone helping, without anyone ever coming in and teaching us how to parent, how to educate, how to do uh, corporate life, how to do these things. I do it my way. And what does it mean? It means I've got to shoulder all the burden of that. I can't trust anyone to coach me, teach me, love me, help me. It's happening in so many spaces. I want to suggest today that we would do well to doubt our doubts about authority, and especially to doubt our doubts about Jesus' authority, and to begin to look at what happens when we come under Jesus' authority. Firstly, I want to speak about the nature of Jesus' authority. I want to speak about the effects of Jesus' authority, and then the implications for your and my life. The first two are fairly quick. What's the nature of Jesus' authority? What's the nature of his authority? We read in this passage that he has all kinds of authority, and it's been building up. Firstly, we see that he's got royal authority. He's come from this baptism moment. He is the king of his kingdom. The verses just before this says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're not looking at Jesus as just another ordinary human. He is a human. He's just like us. I'll talk about that. But he is the king of the kingdom. He's the one who's come from heaven, who is the, 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 the darling of heaven. He's come with the signet ring on his finger. The father has sent him, and he is the prince of heaven who has now come as the king of this new kingdom, and he is starting something fresh, and he has a fresh royal authority. It's not to be messed with. It is a new kingdom, and it needs to be understood. He's also got heavenly authority. He's got creator authority. Creator authority says, actually, Hebrews chapter 1 says that this very Jesus, who now came and lived as the Son of God, I know this is going to be a bit of a mind warp, but listen to me carefully. The very Jesus, who lived on earth, was born of the virgin, who died and, uh, and rose again, is also the very creator of the world. By the power of God's word. Jesus is always known as the word. The world was made. 
He is the creator. He's got creator rights over us. He's not just got royal rights over us. He's not the one who decrees over us. He's also the one who made us. He's got that kind of authority over us. And and you know what else? He's also got human authority. Human authority. Think about this for a moment. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Human authority. You guys okay there? (laughs) Think about it. Human authority. Jesus is the only one who comes onto this earth, he lives a life like no other human. He's just come out of 40 days of temptation. He's been thrown every kind of temptation you could ever imagine, and yet the scriptures say he was without sin. Just imagine that. You and I can't pull that off for like 45 minutes, and we've done something we shouldn't have done, thought something we shouldn't have thought. Uh, You know, it's incredible, and yet he has this human ability given by God to be without sin. Wow. He gets his authority from that. He comes out of the desert and he calls people to follow him because he has a whole different type of authority. He's got authority from heaven. He's got authority as a creator and he's got authority as the one who comes to creation as a human. And he comes and he expresses this authority in a whole different way. This is probably the best part of it is he doesn't come and express his authority with a heavy hand and, and, and just an angry heart and comes and fixes everyone in, in, in one moment. He comes and he walks along the beaches and he calls broken people just like us. And he says, come follow me. And the highlight of Mark, of this whole book is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where it says the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is mind-blowing. Creator authority, kingly authority, human authority. And yet he comes and he wants to give his life. He's a servant leader. He's a servant king. And he gives himself to us and he gives beautiful access to us. He's authority we shouldn't mess around with. And yet he's authority we've got huge access to. Tim Keller says it like this. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Wow. That's what it means to be under this authority. It's tender, but it's strong. So what are the effects of Jesus' authority? First effect of Jesus' authority is that these people are filled with awe. They look at his teachings, and they look at what he's doing, and he starts to gather a following. And these people, it says, were amazed, and they asked each other, what is going on? They were amazed. Do you know that you and I are meant to be amazed? Do you know that in our hearts we were made for amazement? That God wired us in the deepest parts of who we are to be filled with awe. We are like awe machines. We're always churning out and looking for things to go, wow, that's amazing. Which is why we're addicted to our phones all the time. Because we're on this hunt for the next amazing thing. And that little red notification dot has told us that something amazing is on the other side of a click. That's honestly what's happening. Our neural pathways are wired more and more to believe that on the other side of that red dot, whether it's from WhatsApp or Instagram, notice they're always red, because they know that that thing has got you. Because on the other side of that, your brain has told you something awesome is there. It's going to affirm me. It's going to amuse me. It's going to tell me something I need to know. It's going to inform me. It's going to give me something I desperately want. I need it. Because I'm made for awe. I'm made to look at some stuff and just go, whoa, that is incredible. God wired you like that. And the most awesome thing your soul and your heart is meant to gaze on is Jesus himself. You're meant to hear his teachings and go, that makes sense of my life like nothing else. You're meant to see his glory and his power and go, that is more powerful than anything I could ever imagine. You're meant to uh, witness the way he works and his wisdom and the way that it makes sense of the complexity of the relationships we're in. And it should go, wow, I could never have done that on my own. I couldn't have fixed that problem. I couldn't have related to that. I couldn't have got through this without him giving me his grace and his wisdom and his mercy. That's what it means to be awed by something. And instead, we're so easily awed by little red dots. We, We probably need to actually giggle at ourselves sometimes. But then we need to be firm with ourselves and go, what is awing me? What is causing me to go, wow? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a hobby, something we want to buy, 
Is it a new phone? Is it something we're looking ahead at? I just want to suggest that if it's not mainly a, a picture of Jesus and who he is and what he can do in your life, it's inevitably going to ultimately let you down. It's going to drop you. The high is amazing because the neural pathways are saying, actually, there's something good on the other side. And you're waiting for that dopamine fix. It could be long, could be short. could be waiting for the payout, the bonus, whatever it is. And you're building, you're building. Eventually, as Jim Carrey says, and he wishes we all got it, he wishes that everyone who got, got everything or who didn't have everything, he says, I wish everyone knew what I know now that I've got to the top, that there's nothing here. Andre Agassi said the same thing. There's so many famous people who earned so much, accomplished so much, and then they got to the top and they said, I wish everyone knew that it's a vacuum up here. It's empty. There's nothing for me. Hey, Jesus' authority is what brings us all. It's also experiential. Jesus' authority can be experienced. It's not a theory. You don't get to just kind of uh, think of Jesus' authority and go, well, I, I saw it. It was explained at church. It's experiential. You notice in the story, they listened to a teaching and their, their lives began to shape. No doubt Jesus would have said things about uh, worry and anxiety, and he starts to teach them, and suddenly they're less worried about parenting, and they start to parent better. They get to experience Jesus. Jesus, or Jesus' authority, when it comes into your life, it shapes your experience. He, he, he comes into another person's life who's possessed by a demon, and they get released. They're experiencing something. If all you've got is theory, you're not actually getting all of Jesus. He wants you to experience the transformation that he brings in your life. That's what it means to really know him. It's powerful. It's physical. There was physical healing. How cool is that? Jesus went to his, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, that's a big one. I eh? am mother-in-law here, guys. This is like, wow. Peter could have said, no, just leave her. It's fine. Just enjoying a bit of peace and quiet for a moment. But he didn't. He said, no, heal her, please. And he actually brings a healing. And it was kind of an interesting one, right? It was just like a fever. Take two panados these days and you're fine. But Jesus just comes to a simple pain and he brings some simple healing. He doesn't always heal. I know, sometimes we've prayed for healing. It doesn't work out. Sometimes we do and it does. 12 months ago, almost to the day, Terry Virgo was visiting us and um, we went away as a bunch of guys and he started teaching and he was teaching on the Holy Spirit. He was teaching on healing. And he just said, you know, guys, I've, I've been praying for people on their backs and I've just been watching people get healed. Anyone here who's got back pain that I can pray for? So I sort of thought, yeah, I actually do, but it's been about 15 years of back pain. That probably just, that's normal. You don't, you don't ask for prayer when you've been living with it for 15 years. You got used to it. Anyway, I, I sort of thought about it for a while, and I said, yeah, Terry, I'd love some prayer. And uh, in a semi-faithful, semi-cynical kind of way, just said, well, I'll, I'll receive prayer. I believe God can do this. And... Um, I'd seen God, I've seen God heal when I've prayed for people, but I was just in an interesting space, and I was sort of going, okay. Anyway, he pulls out my legs, and he says, can you see your legs are two different lengths? So I said, well, I sort of can. All the other guys looked at him and said, yeah, no, that's definitely true. Your legs are two different lengths. I was like, thanks, guys. There we go. Verified. And he prays a very simple prayer, and he says, God, pray in the name of Jesus that this leg would grow and that you'd heal this back. I looked down and I, I, I couldn't see it visibly, but I could feel, like, a, like almost like my, my leg was on a piece of warm ice or, or, or like oil, and it just slid forward. And everybody stared as they watched my leg move. I couldn't make it happen. I, I promise you, I didn't know what to do. If I wanted to try fabricate a healing, I wouldn't know what I was trying to do. I just watched these two things come into alignment. Wow. I haven't felt a back pain, and I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not trying to hype you up here. I just haven't felt back pain for 13 months. It's amazing. God just does that sometimes. Terry says sometimes he prays, people don't get healed. Sometimes he prays and they do. The point is, is when Jesus' authority comes into a place, it's experiential and he does stuff and he loves to do it. And we don't get bleak or, or bitter if it doesn't work out. We keep trusting him because his authority is far bigger than just a physical healing. Hey, we're going to pray for some people today if you'd like prayer. We can trust him for some real healing. It's also spiritual. You can experience spiritual release. Really what happens, we don't in our generation see many exorcisms, nobody foaming at the mouth. It's not as common in, in the Western society. And I think C.S. Lewis says it best. 
And he says that actually most of us, uh, or at least Satan, loves it when we in the West believe he doesn't exist. He loves it. It's his favorite thing. He says the, the most important thing that Satan wants is either we're overly fascinated with the demonic and, and, and those realms, or we just pretend it's not real. He likes both of those extremes. What we should be aware of is just that sometimes, in some ways, Satan tries to get his way with us. And actually, with most of us, it's to cause us to believe lies, because he's the father of lies, and to get all in on ourselves and to not see that God is good, he's kind, and he's with us. When you get that, suddenly he breaks stuff off you. We saw a few times in this little passage that when Jesus came with his authority, demons shrieked, and they said, hey, what do you want with us, son of God? And Jesus said, hey, be quiet. I don't want you, I don't need that publicity, not from you, not now. He tells them to be quiet. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing? Hey, that, that happens still. Hey, he releases us. It's experiential, liberating. It, it, it's that he pushes back darkness in our hearts and we start to see the world and it starts to grow and expand in our experience. This is a wonderful part of what it means to follow Jesus. So what are the implications? What are the implications? What does it mean what, to, to actually follow Jesus, to, to sit under his authority? I hope you're starting to see that Jesus' authority is at least one. There's more. I think there's lots of good authority in the world. But at least one. This is a good place to start, to sin under his authority, to live your life under his authority because he's all-powerful and he's all-loving. You can find me anyone in the world who is all-powerful, got creator power, and yet is all-sacrificial like Jesus. I'll follow them as well. But I can't find him. There's no one who compares to Jesus. So what do we do with our lives in the light of this kind of authority as is expressed in this story? First thing I would encourage you to do is rejoice. Simply celebrate and just go, wow, the world is different because of this kind of authority. And you know that if you track church history and you track what's happened through Christianity over the ages, most of the time where Christianity goes, the love and the mercy of God follows. Hospitals and schools emerge where people are trying to serve others into wholeness and into health and into growth and into freedom and into liberty. Yes, there's some bad stories that blot the, the history books and they get exacerbated by a bunch of people who've got some pretty bad intentions for the, the, the kind of Christian message. But let me tell you, you go track it and you will see a story of where Jesus is on the throne, where Jesus really is authoritative over people's lives and history. Life has flowed to it. Rejoice, rejoice. It changes the world. It changes your relationships. It, it changes the way we, we relate to one another. It puts trust back into the picture. This is a very important thing because what we're seeing in society at the moment is basically a, a, a draining of trust. It's just seeping out of society one day at a time. Why? Because there isn't one single authority figure who holds us all to one single account. It's, ama it's amazing. I, I heard a story. I may have told you the story before. Uh, a lady who lived in India, she was working for a doctor. And uh, she's a Christ follower, loved Jesus. And uh, the, she was a secretary, sort of taking calls. Anyway, a person calls and says, to, uh, says can I please speak to the doctor? So she messages through to the doctor and says, uh, Doctor, um, so-and-so is on the phone for you. Can I put it through? And she, then the doctor says, I'm afraid not. Just tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm not here. So now she's got an authority issue, right? Doctor in authority who says, please lie for me. Jesus in authority who says, never lie, right? What do you do? You've got an authority kind of juncture that's they're clashing. So she Puts the call through. <laughs> Says, the doctor's there. He'll chat to you now. Puts it through. Doctor takes the call, has to do whatever he needs to do. Puts the phone down, walks through and says, I told you not to put it through. She looks him in the eyes with all the courage she can muster up. And she says, if I lie for you, how do you know that I won't lie against you one day? How do you know that you can trust me? That is amazing wisdom, but it's also the power of what happens when a life is under the authority of God. 
It means that you in your marriage, if your wife or your husband is submitted to Jesus, it means you don't need to keep checking their phone to see who they're chatting to. You don't need to worry about how they're behaving. You don't need to worry about what they're up to. Why? Because you trust them because their main authority is not you, it's Jesus. It's a game changer for society because Jesus is an authority who comes over your life and he offers you grace when you make your mess ups and yet he offers you truth to help you move forward out of your mess ups. That's not to say that everyone who's a Christian is perfect. It's to say that everyone who's Christian should have a conscience that says, I wanna live before the audience of one. He is my authority. And because of that, there's trust that can flow back into society, back into how we live. I trust my, my elders, these guys, Tashis and, and Chris and their wives, I trust them implicitly. Why do I trust them? Why do I give them my, uh, my trust and, and expect them to do what Jesus would have them do? Because I see the way they live. I see what they do with their money. I see what they do with their time. I see what they do with their devotion to the point that I can entrust lives to them. We can entrust ourselves to them. Why? Because first and foremost, they're under authority. Your authority comes because you're under authority. Your authority to, to, to lead and to love people comes because you're under Jesus' loving authority. The problem with our world is we're trying to say, I come in the name of me. And when you come in the name of you, you've got no one to back you. Who holds you account to your stand, to account to your standards? Because they could change tomorrow. You might not feel like being the truth tomorrow. We need a society that understands what it means to put trust back into the world is to come under Jesus. Hey, the second thing is, is to actually submit to him. Submit your own life. And usually, most of our lives when it comes to submission is we're about 80 percenters, Right? 80 to 90 percenters. I've got, the, I've got the majority of stuff that feels pretty natural to give to Jesus. And then there's like 15 to 20 percent that's like, Jesus, you're probably not even interested in that, right? It's just a, it's just a tax issue anyway. It's just a, it's, you know, I'll just leave that bit out. It's just that. It can't be hurting too many people. In fact, most people kind of like it. Jesus goes, no, I'm authoritative over everything. I'm the creator of all things, and I deserve to have authority over all things. You know what's wonderful about this? Jesus doesn't come with a heavy hand. He comes as the servant of all, and he says, come give me your life. He comes to the fisherman, and he says, come to me, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He actually calls us to give the stuff that we value so much. Maybe you value something so much in your life that you know is holding on to you and it's actually leading you. It's become an authority. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's relationships. Usually we've got one or two things. And you know what happens? It starts to become an authority over us. It leads us. And Jesus says, come, give me your profession. Give me your passions. And I'll turn you into a person who can use those passions in a powerful way. You become a wounded healer. You, you start using your addictions or your, your struggles and you submit them to him. And in a few years' time, those are becoming the stories of healing for so many other people. He loves to turn our stuff that we're holding onto into opportunities. He turns fishermen into fishers of men. He turns broken people into wounded healers. That could be your story. Hey, stand in Jesus' authority. Don't, don't stand back. Know that all authority in heaven and earth, says Jesus in Matthew 28, has been given to him, and he sends us out. You don't need to ask permission to do what Jesus has already commissioned you to do. He's calling you to go stand in his authority and love the world as best you possibly can because he's called us to that. Hey, if there's broken, sick people and faith rises in your heart and you say, I wanna pray for this person, pray for them. Sometimes, just randomly, faith will rise in your heart. Hey, you need to share something. You need to tell something. You need to encourage someone. Stand in the authority of Jesus knowing that he loves people. You can't go too wrong if you do that. And then serve people with his authority. Serve people, teaching them, praying for them, pushing back darkness. Maybe I'll call the band up. We're gonna land in a song. Just like these parents who stood up here today, take their authority seriously. And they really do. They love their kids. And it's going to take time to parent these kids well. Just like these parents who stood up and said, my authority matters, Jesus actually went up. He went up onto a cross and he said, my authority matters. 
And I need you to understand that although I am heaven and earth's true king, and although I have creator power, and although, as he said, he could call a legion of angels and they could have wrenched him off the cross and put him on a throne, he chose not to do that. That's the kind of king he is. That's the kind of king he is. When all his disciples were saying, he's too busy, push the kids away, don't let the kids come close. He said, no, let the little children come to me. That's the kind of king he is. When he's rushing off to a house and he's super busy and uh, there's a person who's about to die and a lady touches him who's got just like a, a bleeding issue, he says, what happened? And the disciples would have gone, Jesus, someone's dying over there. This is just a lady. What happened? I felt power come and he stops. That, that's the kind of king he is. He's not running too fast to, to, and he's not running past your life. He's with you and I just stressed about work tomorrow. He's the kind of king who cares about that. Massive concerns, health, anxiety, marriage. It's the kind of king he is. He moves into that space. But, but, but he moves in with authority and with love, and he wants to be part of that stuff. He doesn't want you to just invite him, and he wants you to let him lead. Let his ways start to permeate your ways. Let him start to teach you how to do it. Change and break some old habits. Stop some stuff. Those old habits, if they're not part of Jesus' ways, are just, they're just hurting you at, at best, just leaving you flat. Some addictions, I think, need to break today. Stuff, maybe dudes, it's porn. I don't know what to say except that it's just hurting you. It's not helping you enjoy the love and the authority of Jesus. You just flatline. Your brain is getting smaller. Your heart is shrinking. And Jesus would just come in and say, just stop it. I will help you. I will turn you into a lover of people. I'll teach you how to give dignity back to women in the world. Stop it today. Come receive my grace. Let me be king. I'll turn you into a lover of people, not a hurter of people. Oh, but it's private, Jesus. Yeah, I know it's private, but it's still painful. Hey, why don't we stand? Let's do some business with Jesus. Maybe close your eyes just as a way of saying I'm, I'm serious about Jesus today. Focused, I'm focused on him. We're going to sing a song. I don't know what part of your life needs to come under his authority, whether you need healing, you need help, you need teaching, he needs to coach you, he'll coach you. Jesus, this morning we thank you that your authority is here. You're here to, to teach us, you're here to heal us, you're here to help us through difficult times. We've got a team of people up at the front who would love to pray. If you've got stuff, even during this time of singing, if you'd like to be prayed for, if you would like someone to pray for healing, you'd like someone to pray for a part of your life, during this time, after the meeting, we'll be around. We want to pray with people because Jesus' love, His authority is experiential, shapes how we do tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Jesus, we welcome you into this place. You're already here but we're freshly aware of that and we come under your authority, the wonder of your love. As we sing, minister to our hearts, remind us of your glory. Let's sing.